0: You're listening to Breathe Like a Badass, the podcast for ambitious but anxious women who want to cut through overwhelm, negative self-talk, constant comparison and fear so that they can get the inner calm, clarity and focus that they need to build happy, fulfilling, freedom-filled businesses and lives that truly light them up, which is what we all want, right? I'm Hannah, your host, and I am an e-slash INFP. Yes, I can be an extrovert and an introvert almost at the same time. And I live in Southwest London with my coffee, very plentiful supply of chocolate, and my partner, Ollie. And I use down-to-earth, science-based meditation techniques to support women like you in creating the successful, fulfilling, and incredible freedom-filled life and business that you deserve. Long story short, I help you to be and love exactly who you are so that you can go out and do the work that you truly love and that really lights you up in this podcast i interview some absolutely incredible guests on topics ranging from meditation mindfulness habits the power of routine how to be kind to yourself and just give yourself a damn break what it's like when you try things and fail what it's like when you try things and actually maybe succeed and how to take all of that hard won life experience to become more fulfilled women, business owners, partners, friends, parents, or whatever it is that is super important and central to making our lives more meaningful, powerful, and successful, whatever that means to us. This week, I'm talking to Joe Hooper. The founder of the Mad and Sad Club. In her own words, Jo started grappling with her mental health in 2017 but before that she'd been developing a wildly unhealthy relationship with work for basically ever. Two breakdowns, three therapists, countless books, podcasts, pills and walks later she spent two years trying to manage her mental health alongside a job as head of communications and she was exhausted. And, as she says, she had become a bit of an expert in being mad at work. After 11 years in communications, she set up the Mad and Sad Club in 2009. And her mission is now to help people manage their mental health at work so they can not just survive, but thrive. This episode was ridiculously fun to record. Joe and I talked about everything from the toxic beliefs so many of us have around work, hustle culture and burnout, and how to change them, the glorification of hard work and why your self-worth does not need to be tied in to how many hours you put in. The importance of managing your mental health at work, whether you work for a company or for yourself. How to set up your working life so that it fits around your mental health and not the other way around. Why setting boundaries for yourself in work isn't the same thing as running away or avoidance or just you not being able to cope. We also talked about why the concept of a work-life balance is such rubbish and what you can do instead. Why everyone deserves an employer that cares about their mental health even if that employer is just you. How the COVID-19 crisis might just change how flexible work looks forever. Why you don't have to give up your goals of money and success while also working in a way that supports your mental health. You can actually make money have a successful business and also have a life. Who knew? How changing the way you work can genuinely make you happier as a person, and we talked about Jo's own regular habits and routines that now allow her to manage her mental health while also setting up a successful business. I also warn you that we had some seriously deep discussions about the meditative powers of gardening, plants, sourdough bread, and of course, biscuits. So yeah, think jammy dodgers, Jaffa cakes, bourbon biscuits, chocolate chip cookies, it is all in there. I will also warn you that this episode does contain certain instances of swearing, so if you have little ears in the room or you are particularly sensitive to swearing, just a heads up. As usual, all the show notes and references for this episode can be found on my brand spanking new website, same address but new website, I'm very excited, breathelikeabadass.com forward slash podcast and of course if you like what you hear and you would love to support our work please do take 30 seconds to leave a rating and a review out of five or just share your thoughts on the podcast on apple podcast or wherever you listen it would absolutely make my day that's enough for this intro on to the show joe we're recording hello thanks so much for being here it's really exciting to have you on the show
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's nice to do this recording with the video on so that I feel like I can actually see you as well. So, Joe, before we get stuck
0: into the fantastic everything that you do and I'm going to be digging deep into your mission, which I'm really excited about. I always like to ask people what are they most obsessed with or loving the most at the moment?
1: Okay, so I have quite like eclectic obsessions. So there's quite a lot. At the moment, I'm really obsessed with my garden. We have like a kind of a classic London um, patch of concrete. Like it's, we rent the flat, it's paved. Um, But I have started like planting and growing flowers. I've got a little mini greenhouse. I'm growing things from seed. I'm really obsessed with my garden, like genuinely obsessed with my garden. Um, so that would be obsession number one. Um, I have a, an ongoing obsession with, like, Russian history and Russia and all of that stuff. Hannah looks, like, really... B- appalled. <laughs>
0: it's I'm a not. Obsession. I'm not appalled. I'm just... I'm so impressed by how eclectic your I know, interests yeah. are already I'm yeah. like we've gone from
1: gardening to Russian history I love it <laughs> carry on carry on um my other constant obsession is sourdough baking so I did the classic um lockdown cliche of getting into sourdough right at the start um and I make like really good sourdough bread I'm just putting it out there and I made homemade sourdough pizzas a few days ago those were phenomenal um so yeah I'm, i have like a lot of obsessions i read like all the i read loads and loads and loads and i really prioritize reading as like a, it's like a form of self-care for me um so i'm like obsessed with books recently alongside the garden obsession i've got into nature memoirs and if you're looking for an easy into nature memoirs i cannot recommend Rootbound by alice vincent enough it's like she's she's like about our age lives in london up with her boyfriend and then like fell into and became obsessed with gardening on her balcony. Um, so yeah, I can't recommend that book enough.
0: Oh my god, I love that you just said that. I, <laughs> I have so many questions and I just want to talk about all the things, <laughs> but I love that you just mentioned Alice Vincent because I was literally before we started recording this, I was honestly stalking her Instagram. Yes,
1: nauticulture yes, I love her, and you I know, know. Why?
0: also the fact that you're talking about gardening is so funny because my boyfriend and I have had a flat without plants in it we've only had like basil plants that we (laughs) use for cooking for like three years and then a few months ago I just looked around the living room when I was working and I was just like this place has got no plants in it apart from fake cactus plants and (laughs) this will no longer do so we thought about it for a bit and then we literally were like right how can we get plants we have zero interest in going to a green What's it called? I don't even know what they call the gardening centre because we were like, mm, <laughs> we don't really know what we're doing at all. So we we're like, we probably can't even go to a gardening <laughs> centre right now. Like, are they even open? I don't even know. So we literally was we we're just looking online and we found Patch Plants and oh yeah, they're amazing. Oh my god, yeah. this podcast is in no way sponsored, but it absolutely should be because I'm going we to sing <laughs> their praises. I know. I just Patch Plants. If anyone needs plants and they have no idea what they're doing, and long story short, Alice Vincent has got a short course that's totally free that patch plants do oh, um that's cool teaching you how to look after your house plants so we ordered 3 and they're really not that expensive like i think one of them was like 15 quid and it's beautiful um People listening to this podcast are gonna be like, uh guys, I didn't (laughs) sign up to listen to sourdough and plants. But honestly, once you get into it, it will change your life. Honestly. Genuinely. Each of the plants have got their own names. Oh, good. Yeah. I've created a watering schedule for each of them. Oh, this is this is
1: very excellent.
0: Every morning when I come into the living room, I say hello to them and check that they're okay. I mean, honestly, I'm like a proud parent and I've never, I've never honestly given a shit about plants <laughs> i swear honestly even like a few weeks ago i would have been like what the actual hell is she talking about <laughs> and now i'm a convert and i absolutely love i love yeah. it and alice vincent is is an absolute babe so yeah completely
1: yeah she's awesome and that book rebound is amazing she's such an incredible writer i knew she was a, a journalist for the telegraph um but her way of writing is like i don't know i don't really feel like i have the the vocab to describe it but it's quite like um subtle and like lyrical and yeah it's really lovely I love that book if you like Alice Winston and you've just gone to plants I would so recommend that book
0: oh my god adding it to the gigantic TV, I know, massive I know. book pile amazing and I also want to talk to you about sourdough because last time we spoke sure. before when we were talking about doing this podcast you inspired me massively like don't you have a sourdough starter that has actually got a name and yeah. everything yeah yeah, yeah. Big,
1: big, sue. Big, yeah. S- big sue yeah big sue yeah big sue the starter yeah she's got a little label with her name on it yeah she's a dreamboat and all she is is flour and water That's
0: you see kind of incredible i feel like this has got to be my next obsession because because i haven't quite got into the whole sourdough thing because i'm just kind of like Why would I bother to learn it and ruin my kitchen in the process when I can just buy amazing bread, like from the supermarket? Right now, though, I actually can't because going to the supermarket is like, you know, you've got to put a mask on, you've got to queue up, it takes forever. So actually, you know, maybe sourdough is going to be my next
1: thing. Also, genuinely, your own bread tastes like a million times better than supermarket bread. Honestly, it will. Because I don't know why, but it just, yeah, it just tastes friggin' amazing. Sourdough is like a real, it takes quite a while to get to the point where your big Sue equivalent is like ready to roll. Like it takes a few weeks for her to have enough, get up and go in her to get up and make a loaf of bread.
0: You know what though? I do feel like it's something that I probably do need to get into because the other day I saw a magazine and it had the word breaditation on the front of it oh, hello as in like somebody is out there teaching homemade bread making skills and combining it with mindfulness and meditation and has called it breaditation and i just feel like that is probably one of the best things i've ever seen really
1: yeah i mean that is phenomenal yeah linguistic <laughs>
0: exactly that's a tree. so i feel like that's yeah probably going to be once I've got over my plant obsession yeah bread is going to be the next thing and I mean sourdough pizza is like I mean
1: sort of better than sex really it is I'm like so phenomenally proud of myself for that sourdough pizza like I don't say that lightly I very rarely feel proud of myself it feels like a very icky feeling but I'm very proud of my sourdough pizza
0: Oh my god, I could just talk about bread and sourdough (laughs) for the rest of this entire podcast, but people who've signed up to listen to me talk about things such as mindfulness and work and self-care and (laughs) self-love may be a little bit confused. Although I feel like bread and gardening is not too far away from mindfulness and self-love
1: at all. It's very, both are very meditative and like they're definitely part of my, like the way that I look after myself, being outside, being in my garden, doing things that like quieten your mind. And for me, like bread making definitely gardening reading those are all like some of the most powerful things for me to quieten my mind
0: oh my god I love it I absolutely love it fantastic well I'm glad that we've got on track and that we are (laughs) talking about the mindfulness which is the main thing no seriously though I mean one of the questions I always have for my guests is like how do you stay sane because most of the people that I speak to are women who've obviously had their own issues with anxiety and and Uh, mental health issues however they want to call them and also quite often are women that have their own businesses or that have their own side hustle or whatever and so honestly the things that you've mentioned I know that we're kind of kidding but also we're kind of not kidding because it's like actually those things are super important and how you manage your own mental health quite honestly
1: Um, yeah definitely like I think to be honest I think managing my mental health is is something that I feel like I'm doing all the time like I basically when I left my old job I knew that I needed to like live and work in a different way to be able to manage my mental health and so like I have designed my business and the way I work um in a way that allows me to manage my mental health and for me that's like so varied it's I know we kind of almost glibly talk about the baking and the gardening but genuinely I think like the way you live your life, like lifestyle factors, as doctors or therapists might call them, um, can be like some of the most powerful things in helping you to to manage your mental health in a sustainable, long-term way, um, because you're basically finding your own treatment, really. Um, so yeah, like those kind of lifestyle things are a huge part of how I stay sane.
0: a <laughs> totally. 100%, yeah. So that is a perfect segue into... My next question, which is really like, Joe, for people that don't know you, can you explain your story? And like, let's start at the beginning. How did you come to be doing what you're doing now? And I guess you would summarize your mission as kind of making work, work for you and designing your work around your life and your mental health and not the other way around, but
1: how did you come to be doing this? What's your story? um so i guess my story starts as all good stories do with a breakdown (laughs) um whoa so yeah i had i worked in communications for 11 years and um in 2017 i had a breakdown like a a, yeah i mean there's no other word for it really is there um and i i took a little bit of time off work started to see a therapist um but never really to be honest got any better um or I I got better enough to like go back to work and function just about but I didn't really dig deep enough to start to get any better and then I had like a a bigger more life-altering breakdown in 2018 excuse me and um Then I ended up taking, being signed off work for three months, I started medication, saw yet more therapists, um, and basically realized that I had developed a wildly unhealthy relationship with work and that work was kind of, I don't know how to describe it, it was like so deeply woven into who I was and how I, um, saw my self-worth and my sense of value and my confidence and my identity. Um, and that I knew that that was just really, really unhealthy. Um, and so I realized that I needed to start living, thinking, working very differently to the way that I had been, um, to be vaguely sane and vaguely happy. Um, like I was really, really unwell, really depressed, like, you know 10 years worth of anxiety i had you know i had a decade's worth of anxiety in my body um if not more um and it took me a long time to kind of come down from that anxiety high and start to um think clearly at all about what i needed to do um and then i went back to work after three months and i just couldn't quite get the balance right um and i thought i'm not gonna i need to like Um, I need to put a lid on my ambitions. I need to, um, I need to do something different. I, I also noticed basically that, that my company was very well-meaning and it had all the kind of formal in inverted commas support things in place like healthcare and time off and whatnot. Um, but they just had no idea what I needed and the, like some of the things that were happening were inadvertently quite triggering for me. So I started to realize that companies needed some help when it came to supporting people with mental health stuff. Um, And then about nine months after coming back from that time off, and the company was going through huge change. And I just knew that I couldn't go through another big upheaval. And so I kind of said, "I'm, I'm done. I think you can make me redundant now. Um, and that was last February. And then I set up Mad and Sad Club, like literally the Monday after, classic. I'm really good at um, doing what's healthy for me. Wow,
0: I didn't know that it had been quite that quick. And you know, that's so funny because you saying that, It's kind of triggering in me the feeling of like, oh, God, she's done so much in such a short amount of time. I need to work harder. I must hustle more. I've had my business for like two and a half years, three years. If you count the business that I did before that failed before I started doing Breathe Like a Badass, like, oh, my God, what am I doing? And it's just hilarious how we have such ingrained views of like what hard work looks like and what work Mm -hmm. should look like I mean that's like my own issues that are not even part of the story but like it's just it it makes kind of makes me laugh how like my automatic reaction to you saying that is like you just shared this incredibly honest amazing story and my brain remembers the last bit that you said that Mm. you set it up like a week after you left work like obviously because thank you brain
1: anyway (laughs) but you know what that's like i i am obsessed with the I, I can never find the words for it but the scientific fact that is neuroplasticity which is growing new neural pathways in your brain or i think of it as like growing new muscle memory in your brain and you, your brain goes to that place that it went to because it's such a well-worn path in your brain like we've been conditioned to think in this way and so your brain doesn't even need to consciously think it, it just starts like an arrow straight down that well-worn path and the only way to shift it is to notice it and try and walk down a different path try and have different thoughts so that you're creating a new well-trodden path in your brain which, you know, anyway, but, um,
0: I know, but I literally, I'm just smiling so much because you've literally just summarized the entire mission of my entire business. (laughs) I just love it. It's like, yes, neuroplasticity, you can change. You don't have to be stuck with your automatic negative thoughts. it's possible to actually change how you think, which is amazing. And I agree with you. I am obsessed with neuroplasticity as well. Um, okay. So of course, every, every answer that you give me i'm going to have like 17,000 questions <laughs> so you shared that you had two what you called breakdowns so just so we know what we're talking about not because we want to labor what is a difficult point but what did that look like for you so you weren't able to work is that right was it just that you just couldn't go into the office anymore or how did that look
1: it um it looked basically like a total stopping of cognitive function like i um i had a lot of physical symptoms so i um would feel sick whenever i ate i would feel sick when i brushed my teeth i would have really bad digestion problems i wasn't sleeping through the night i would wake up multiple times in the night looking at the clock and not able not be able to recognize that the time was what the time was it wasn't like 8 in the morning and i was late or something um <clears throat> i had really uh, when i you know when they do the quiz with you at the doctor about how depressed and anxious you are the really fun quiz um where they like rate you <laughs> how often in the last two weeks have you um i kind of recognized that i hadn't really felt kind of happiness or joy in like a really really long time which felt really counterintuitive because I was in a really happy relationship. I was in a commas doing really well in my job, um, had a lovely flat in a lovely area. Um, but I had, you know, all the classic kind of depression and anxiety symptoms when it comes to the way that you think. Um, but that massively affected my ability to do anything. Um, it, it Again, all this stuff, it, um affects your cognitive function so I couldn't really make any decisions and I headed up a team of 12 people and like three different disciplines and four million pound like budget like that just isn't it's not possible to do your job when you uh, can't make decisions it made me really tired of course because I wasn't sleeping made me really irritable all of the kind of all the things basically I was just like a husk of a woman um and so yeah I couldn't really couldn't really do anything for a long time um so yeah it didn't look very nice never, never does for anyone really does it um but yeah I, I just want to
0: thank you for share, for sharing that because it firstly it's really honest and secondly I know it's not easy especially when you're someone who continues to live with with mental. I mean I wouldn't even call it mental illness I would just say that if you're someone that's felt like that before, I think sometimes we live with the fear that we know what it's like. So we kind of recognize maybe if it's gonna happen again or we fear that it might happen again. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier that kind of like dealing with your mental health or looking after your mental health is kind of a full-time job, but hopefully now in a much more positive way, like you're able to recognize those signs
1: yeah I mean, to be honest, I don't think I am very good at recognizing the signs um not not um, so when I'm kind of doing okay or doing good, I can notice those irrational thoughts and I can use what i've learned in CBT and what I know about neuroplasticity to kind of shift them when i'm not doing very well or I'm like in a bit of a bad place or i'm on the descent then i find it very hard to notice those thought patterns and usually the first thing that i notice is a physical symptom so if my sleep is interrupted or if i've got like a bad tummy or if i'm getting a lot of headaches or um all of those sorts of physical symptoms that i know well those are often the first things that i notice um so like I actually find it really useful that I get physical symptoms of anxiety and depression because those are for me much easier to see than than the thought patterns that's so interesting
0: yeah absolutely totally get that i mean our mind and body are so connected honestly and i do think one of i mean one of the reasons why i always encourage people in meditation to kind of not only focus on their thoughts but also to kind of go into their body is because of that it's like actually sometimes for a lot of people getting in touch with your body and your physical self can be a lot more instructive Mm. than trying to like think your way out of thinking if that makes sense because it's like you can't think your way out of thinking because you're just going to do more thinking so it's like actually how can we interrupt that cycle and then once you've been able to drop into your body you can then maybe start to sort of think again and get mental clarity Mm. again and but that's like that's me like giving you a meditation lesson and that's not what we're here for. So (laughs) (laughs) no, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) But I, but I love how honest you are about that. So you were working in communications. Is that right? And then what was it that made you realize, or what was the link for you between suffering from that anxiety and realizing that like oh my work is the thing that i need to change
1: um i think it was because it felt like work was the biggest thing in my life um like it didn't for me ever occur to me that there was any other um there was any other link or cause um i'm not someone who struggles with kind of anxiety in um y- y- i'm probably using the wrong term but i i think of it like situational anxiety so i don't get agoraphobia or claustrophobia or anything like that i know that for me anxiety and low mood is all all comes from my own thought patterns um so i knew i could almost trace trace it back so i i'd had a promotion it felt like i really had to fight for it then i had a new boss and then there were changes in the company and there were all of these um, things that had happened that basically meant that I was constantly in this place where I felt like I, like I had to prove myself. Um, Now I know that the only person I really was trying, well, no, I, I I'm still always trying to prove something to myself, which is something that I always have to try and manage. But, um, yeah, I was constantly in this place of feeling like I had to prove myself and constantly feeling like I was, Being undermined, that I wasn't doing well enough, and now you know after lots of therapy, I know that my core belief about myself is that I'm a failure. So basically, all of those situations at work were just constant reinforcements that I'm a failure, constant proof that I was a failure, Um, and that you know over the course of you know how many years, a couple of years, I guess, over that period of of having those two kind of mental health crises that constant reinforcement over a couple of years just blew away any sense of confidence or self self self-worth or value or sanity or happiness I had um so it felt to me like it it was staring me right in the face um but obviously I know now that that the problem is my thought patterns rather than my the the job that I was in but the job I was in certainly didn't help (laughs) Totally. It sounds as if it really was the catalyst
0: because it is true. And obviously this is everything that I believe in, that we can control our thoughts and we can learn to reprogram our brains and all of this. But also that doesn't mean that we shouldn't remove ourselves from a toxic situation or (laughs) this is a question that comes up a lot about meditation, actually. It's like people think that that meditation or however you want to call it cbt or anything is about putting all of the responsibility on you as a human and that it's your fault for not thinking positively enough or not meditating enough or whatever it is and it's like no no you, you can meditate at the same time as also not accepting situations or telling mm-hmm. someone that actually they're not allowed to be an asshole to you or putting boundaries in place with toxic friends or family members and this is something it reminds me of the quote and I'm going to butcher it cuz I always butcher <laughs> quotes but it was something like something like before you diagnose yourself with depression check that you are not first surrounded by assholes or something like <laughs> that something like that and I'm probably repurposing it for my own needs but it's it's a quote that basically says that and it's like yes you are in control of your brain yes neuroplasticity exists yes there's so much that you can do to help yourself feel better in your own mind absolutely there is but also if you recognize that you're in a toxic environment that is doing you absolutely no favors that is also part of the work like to recognize that and have enough self-worth to step away from that toxic environment
1: yeah and i think i battle with this quite a lot in myself is that where does managing something become avoidance and sometimes avoidance is healthy and sometimes it isn't like at the moment I'm taking a break from Instagram because I was finding it really, I, I was in a, I was feeling quite low and quite anxious and I was, I was continuing those patterns of behavior and I knew that I needed to take myself out of it to break that cycle of behavior and then work on the thought patterns. Um, And sometimes I do worry that my default setting is avoidance, but actually I think, I think there are times when avoidance is necessary. Like I knew that I could not continue working in that job, in that company, in that industry. Um, And I knew that I needed to do something different um, and work in a different way. And it felt like the kind of, it felt like my experience was kind of leading me to do this new thing, this made-up job that I've made up for myself. Um, <laughs> so <clears throat> I think avoidance is sometimes necessary, but I know that I have to be careful that I don't always try and stick my head in the sand or extricate myself from a situation rather than learning how to manage myself through that situation, if you know what I mean.
0: I completely get what you mean about that fine line, especially when maybe putting boundaries in place for yourself is quite new and I think that's part of the learning of how to manage your own mental health Mm. figuring out when it's important for you to do the work and address the issue and when actually you just need to say I'm done this is not for me I need to leave the situation and I actually don't need that in my life and it really Mm -hmm. is almost a case-by-case basis and I think this gets a bit of a bad name because people call it toxic positivity, like pretending everything's fine, covering everything up with a band-aid or a, or a plaster and just pretending that everything's positive and it's all fine and or people call it um spiritual bypassing where you just meditate on things and wish things well and love and light to everything and you know you're fine. And it's like that's not the same as putting a boundary in place and mm. se- actually, no, this is bad for me, I need to leave, and actually, I don't need this in my life, and it doesn't have to be this hard, and that's kind of something that I wanted to ask you about, and I've talked to you about this before, because one of my favorite things that you've ever posted on your account is the phrase, it is not shameful to make work easy, and that, to me, just completely sums up so much of what I see, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that your brand and your work now is about, like, it's not shameful to make work easy. It doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to be like hating your life, working yourself to burnout, sitting in a really toxic situation, putting up with a really terrible bullying boss. Like it doesn't have to be that way Mm. Can be easy or pleasurable. Or can you explain a bit more about what that means for you in your life and why you posted that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think, I don't know that I kind of set out to build a business that was easy I knew that I set out to build a business that would allow me to do what I needed to do to look after my mind and that that would change in ebb and flow as you know what I needed changed so I ne- knew that I needed kind of flexibility and things like that um I guess what prompted me to post it was I was in the middle of doing my first round of my group mentoring program and we were as a group kind of reflecting on the on the not even glorification of hard work but the standard the narrative the expectation that work is hard you know work hard you get results early bird catches the worm um nothing nothing that's worth having is easily gotten like all of this fucking bullshit sorry if I can say that
0: again with fewer swears in it. (laughs) Please don't say sorry. I just sometimes that's just what you need to say. It is absolute fucking bullshit. I agree. It
1: is. It's basically like, yes, when we had to, and I know obviously some people still do this, but when we all lived in an agrarian age where we had to till the land to get food to eat, to subsist, and to sustain ourselves, yes, it was fucking hard work. But now there are other options and an easier option doesn't mean a less valuable option and something that might come easily to you doesn't mean that it's inval It's not, it's not valuable to others, to the people who need it. People can take huge value from something that's easy for you. Um, And I do think there's this huge amount of shame that comes with, making work easy and that the thing that i often see when i work with clients is that they think that something that's easier for them should be um priced at a lower price because you know i'm not putting as much blood sweat tears into it um and i just don't think that is a natural i i don't think that makes any sense um in that that the the only measure of value is how hard it is for you to produce it and if I can work in a way that's easier for me, why would I not do it? Um, I think like an, in a, in a like corporate environment, you get this all the time that we have to be well-rounded professionals that, you know, you were great at this thing, but you're terrible at spreadsheets. So we really need to send you on a course to learn how to do better spreadsheets. No, you fucking don't mate. Just get someone who's good at spreadsheets to do the spreadsheets and I'll do the thing that I'm good at. Thank you. Like, bugger off well-rounded professionals i'm as rounded as i'm gonna be this is like who i am now thank you um i'm not going on any courses to learn how to do spreadsheets
0: (laughs) i love that there's so much in what you said i mean i definitely feel like within the corporate environment now there is such a glorification like you use the word glorification and i think there is like especially in my family or people that i know it's very much like oh yeah, well, you know, we work really hard and like we stay at the office until 11 p.m. because we're working on a deal. And like, there's a part of me that's like, well, well done you, you know, you obviously really care about it. And in some ways I, you know, fair enough if that's what you want to do and you care about your job and whatever. But then there's another part of me that's like, firstly, I would hate that. Like there's zero part of me that wants to be in the office until 11 p.m., And secondly, I'm kind of thinking that is seriously gross mismanagement of human resources.
1: Thank you. You have to stay in the office until 11 pm. Why? There's something quite wrong. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? My question to anyone in that situation is why is it necessary for you to do that? Is it actually necessary or is that an expectation that you have kind of built for yourself, what the organisation has for you? And if it is from the organisation, why? Because it is. Wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's like it's either been mismanaged or you mm. don't have enough people on your team, so
0: you are having to work three people's jobs or something, or your work life balance is just like totally fucked. Or maybe, you know, I would say to someone who has to work in the office until 11 pm, oh, okay, well, that was maybe like a one off, maybe happens once every couple of weeks for a big deal or project, but then obviously you got the entire next day off, right? And nine times out of 10, they'll be like, no, obviously not. I was back in the office at 9 9 a.m. the next morning. And I'm just like, sorry, something has gone seriously wrong here. Like, I personally, on my entrepreneurial journey of kind of figuring all of this stuff out for myself and unlearning, quite frankly, all of the corporate bullshit that we are, all of us, like, totally brainwashed into. Mm. I say all of us, some of us are not, but many of us, I think, especially the women that I speak to and the women that I work with. So many of us just brought up with all of these bullshit ideas about what work is and about what corporate life should be and everything like that. And one of my biggest learnings from the past few years, unlearnings, I should say, is that my work is only one part of so much else that is important to me in my life. Mm. And I think it's really easy. We talk about having a work-life balance and it's like, that, why are they binary? Like, why why isn't it not a work balance, and then also a yoga balance, and also a food balance, and a family balance, and a friends balance, and a sitting on the sofa reading a really good book balance? And, like, why is it so one or the other? Like, mm-hmm. why is work one thing and then the rest of my
1: life yeah. <laughs> Bit around like what the hell i i hate the work-life balance phrase because i just think well it's all life isn't it it's all just different bits of life so like yeah and i i think the whole the whole way that we work now in corporate work is just so unhealthy and so antiquated and so deeply embedded into all of us as a society generally because you know most people work in normal and inverted commerce jobs you know while now we know loads of people who run their own businesses or are self-employed I didn't grow up with anyone who ran their own business my dad at times was a taxi driver so he's kind of self-employed but um most of the time like my parents my aunts and uncles the, the parents of the kids I knew at school all had you know all worked in what we, I would now call a corporate job. Um and just the the whole structure of corporate working life it just drives me around the bend that, you know, we have to be in an office together from nine until five. Obviously we don't at the moment because there's coronavirus and we're all working from our living rooms and our bedrooms. But um, you know, usually we would all be gathered together in a little windowless room. And t- from nine till five with one hour for lunch and maybe 15 minute break in the morning and in the afternoon if you're lucky and that has its origins in the move from um agrarian uh society to an industrialized society where we were working in factories that didn't have electric lights so yes we had to be in a room together between nine and five because that's when it was light enough to work the bloody machines and that's not how we live anymore so why in the name of all that is holy are we still working the way that we did in like the mid to late 1800s I find it utterly insane um and even your your thing as well yeah yeah exactly we've got heating and you know wi-fi in places other than the office now so shock horror we can work not nine to five and not sat next to 40 other people who are all as miserable as we are um yeah I I have like a real beam up on it about like just the structure of work now. It just doesn't work. I
0: mean, didn't mean to interrupt you earlier, but I just... want no, no, to go for it. So do I. It is literally the biggest bee in my very big bonnet. <laughs> <gasps> do you know, it just made me so utterly miserable. Yeah. That I kind of have to have a bee in my bonnet about it, because it just... The days where I had to commute, to be honest, the shortest commute that I had was 20 minutes on the Tube, and even that was hellish, because it was obviously rush hour, and I was always late, and it was central London, and it was smelly, and polluted, and busy, and to be honest, I am a city person, I don't mind crowds. I love wide open spaces and countryside as well, obviously, I'm not a complete more on but i also i don't mind crowds like i don't mind central london i'm happy with it it's fine but what i do hate is like cramming yourself onto a tube train constantly chasing you know the clock having to get there at a certain time like you say sitting there next to other people who are also stressed and whatever and just it and then and then i changed jobs because i thought that the problem was the job and i changed jobs and that was even worse. And the commute was like one and a half hours door to door on a good day. Like one and a half hours when everything matched up. So when the train was on time, when the bus was on time, that was like the perfect commute. And actually in reality, it sometimes used to take me two hours. And I actually did enjoy that job more than I had the previous one, but the commute was awful. So it was kind of like I couldn't win and just all of it just made me miserable. Mm-hmm. And I just remember just like standing on a, ch- on a train
1: platform and just thinking like what is my life yeah yeah and I think that the thing that I found and I think that is similar for lots of people who were in the corporate world is like you just don't know what else there is that like, I had no um I had no idea or or inclination at all to set up my own business I felt like I the point at which I did it I felt like I had to because I had to to work in a different way and I didn't think that I could find that in a corporate job but when you're in a corporate job you just don't think it's very hard to see how it could be any different other than very slight tweaks around the edges by starting a different job maybe trying to work from home one day a week or tweak your hours or whatever um and I started to think for for years and years I was like it's London I've been in London too long we need to move out of London and then it will be fine but it, it wouldn't because I'd still be living in the same way just in a slightly different place um but yeah it, it's only been actually in this last year since I went self-employed and probably only in the last six months where I've realized oh actually I do I don't think it is London. <laughs> I am I am okay with London at the moment. It was, it was everything else. It was just the way that I was living and work was a huge part of that. Um, and now that I have more control over that and more, um, autonomy to design the way I work, um, you know, I'm much, much happier in London. I'm much happier generally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I just think that For me, it wasn't kind of like one single realization, like, oh, this lifestyle just does not work for my mental health or who I am as a human. It was just a kind of drip, drip, drip. Mm. So I remember I had quite a lot of health problems a few years back and I needed to go to the doctor for a lot of blood tests and then I needed to go and get the results and then I was seeing specialists at the hospital. Like it was all fine. It was never like life or death, but it was like, it was just kind of admin Mm. and I needed to go to the hospital and the doctor, and I just remember, like, filling in forms, like, having to ask my boss for permission to take time off to go to see a doctor for a blood test that I didn't even bloody want. It's not like I was going on holiday. I was going to the doctor for a health issue, Mm. and I was made to feel like I had to feel guilty about it, like I was doing something wrong, like I had to ask permission from this, like, guy who knows nothing about my life and people kind of looking at you like as if you've been skiving when you come in and you're like um guys like I'm not on holiday literally went to get a blood test it's not exactly fun and games and that was just my experience for a few months i mean imagine everyone that has chronic health conditions and has to do that like all the time and i mean that was one example another example was i really wanted to go on holiday and again being made to feel like i had to ask permission Another one that was really one of the final nails in the coffin was a new girl joined the team and we actually really got on really well. And I was like, oh my gosh, I finally have like a work friend. Amazing. We can go for lunch together. But she and her were the only ones who were kind of on that same kind of hierarchical level. And we started going for lunch together and it really helped my mood and I felt so much better at work. And I was really loving it because I felt like I had a colleague who I really got on with. And after a few weeks, our boss called us into a meeting room and said, guys, I'm afraid you're not allowed to go for lunch together anymore um, because we just need one of you to be in the office just in case the phone rings. And, um, you know, it's not really appropriate for the senior members of staff to have to tell you when they're going for lunch. So what you're going to need to do as more junior members of staff is consult with each other and everyone else the time that you're going to go for lunch so that there's always one of you sitting here in case the phone rings. And I literally remember listening to this coming out of that woman's mouth and just being like, oh, no, 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 this is okay. No, (laughs) this is the time that I've decided that I am leaving. Like that was literally the final nail. And I just thought, wow, I am not even allowed to go for lunch when I want
1: now. Yeah. Like, Make sure you don't go for a wee at the same time. Jeepers. What are they going to do if that bloody phone rings? Can you imagine? Can you bear it? No. To the toilet at the
0: same time. I <laughs> mean, God forbid. Um, and it was kind of that sort of drip, drip, drip where I kind of realized, like, I am a fully grown motherfucking adult. And I have, am having to ask permission from other people
1: what i do with my time and i think i was just like okay cool i'm done yeah i think that for me that kind of underlines like one of the things i think is just so toxic about um kind of corporate culture corporate life and it's this idea that your time is what equals your value so that you have to be at work between nine and five you can only take an hour's lunch break you can't possibly um you know do that with another person because then they're losing 2 hours of your time at the same time like and if you do you know go need to go for a doctor's appointment then of course you'll make up that time on another day or um you know if you have to come in late cuz plumber needs to come or something then you have to work late that day to make up the time it's just nonsensical like again we're not making clothes in factories if we're doing a corporate job like that like we're not we're not creating things from our hands with time, like we are the the company that we work for is benefiting from our brain, and the brain doesn't work at the same pace for everyone or for the same pace for um different types of jobs or things that you're doing or activities it just makes no friggin' sense or even time of
0: day like some yeah. people are really great in the morning some people work best at night so why have you got everyone in an office working the same hours it makes zero sense to me yeah
1: and i mean i'm not saying that i've always believed this or known this i've it's something that i've come to realize kind of as i've um tried to set up my own business and shed that corporate uh, way of working and thinking um i used to be in the office at like 7 seven thirty in the morning and would regularly probably always still be there at seven o'clock at night so i have you know been absolutely hooked into that way of thinking and behaving um which is so massively unhealthy and again it just it encourages people to overwork it encourages perfectionism it encourages overwork it um rewards overwork oh sue stayed really late last night to finish that project let's all give sue a big like round of applause well done sue no sue shouldn't be here late finishing that project what you should have known that sue was planning to stay late and figured out why and um blocked that problem so she didn't have to stay late um because, you know, that means that Sue's going to feel rubbish for the next few days and isn't going to be as productive for you, big corporate boss man or, or lady, um, as she would be if she could work in a way that was actually safe, sane and happy for her. Yeah, I just I really don't like it. <laughs> this is also what's
0: so interesting, because it's like, even if you look at it from a really cynical corporate business point of view... Like even taking away everything that you and I believe about mental health and compassion and respecting people for being human beings and all of those reasons that we would argue that you need a better mental health policy in your workplace, even if you take away all of that and you literally just focus on the bottom line, well actually, if you treat people better you're going to make more money out of them anyway mm. i mean it's just it's just fact like it just makes sense like you say if If Sue has to stay late, I mean, poor Sue, we're really putting her through it, aren't we, this conversation? Poor Poor Sue. Sue. I know. So if she has to stay late on Monday, she's going to be falling behind in the rest of her life, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, maybe she went to bed late on Monday, so that's affecting her energy levels for the next few days maybe she had an argument with her husband on monday because she wasn't supposed to stay late and she did or maybe she had to call in a favor for childcare i mean it literally is the balance is wrong mm. and it just basically fucks up the rest of your life if mm. work is kind of the sole priority and always is the thing that comes first mm. and i appreciate that people do need to work i mean let's be honest like both of us Like you say, you set up your business not because you were like, oh, how wonderful to have a business. It's what I've always dreamed of. It was like, no, no, we have to work because we actually have to make money. And so many people are in that position. And I personally think of myself as very privileged that I can choose most of the time the way that I make money. And we are talking about people that are in positions of relative privilege I couldn't even begin to talk about what it's like to do a job that is paid by the hour, that is minimum wage, that when Mm. you don't work, you don't get paid. I mean, I'm kind of in that position now, in a sense, because if I don't work, I don't get paid. But obviously, it's not at all the same. And I recognize that we're talking from a position of extreme privilege. But I do Mm. think that mental health is something that everyone needs, not just... You know, white women working in corporate offices. But I believe that if we start talking about this, really it should drip down to everyone. Everyone Mm -hmm. deserves to be treated as a human being, even if they're working in a minimum wage job. You know, so I do just want to say that because obviously we are talking about jobs that are very privileged. But really, we're talking about the entire culture of work at all, right down to minimum wage jobs like I say where people do just get paid for when they work mm. and I don't have the answers but I just think it's important to say that that it is about respecting people for their mental health um and not always thinking that work is the only thing and prioritizing that above all else um and people should be paid properly so they don't have to work like 17 mm. hours a day or whatever I mean that's a whole other conversation yeah. but Do you know what I mean I feel like it needs to be
1: said Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. I think it's a really important point that, yeah, you're right. We do speak from a place of immense privilege. Um, and, but equally, I think my, my kind of the bee in my bonnet is, is about like the culture and the society and the expectations around work, whatever that work is. I know I've been speaking very much about kind of my experience of working in a corporate job. Um, but I think I I mean, part of me really hopes that these last few months with the coronavirus and the changes that organizations have had to and have been forced to make to the way that they work. Um I'm I really, really hope that this is a big catalyst to um actually change the culture of of work in the uk um, and the way that organizations are run because organizations have been forced to see that they can work differently have been forced to see that people don't need to be in the same building for the same amount of hours on the same days every day Um, and the argument that oh it just wouldn't work for us doesn't wash anymore because everyone has had to make it work so i am hopeful that that we're not just shouting into a void about this toxic culture of of workplaces and the toxic culture of work generally and that this year might be the start of some real change um and yeah you're so right that that should filter through to every industry and because it's not necessarily just about the the nuts and bolts of how you work it's the way that we As working people in the uk think about work and how that affects our behavior and our expectations and our standards and what we think is acceptable totally and i think it goes
0: back to work culture which is something that everyone that has a job especially people that have a job with big corporations has to be part of and if Mm -hmm. you have a healthy work culture that prioritizes people and understands that people are their mental health then that's gonna be relevant whether you're talking about a really highly paid communications executive or whether you're talking about a barista in starbucks mm. and i just think that companies that really have genuinely supportive working cultures maybe they have to work harder on that maybe they have to have more training maybe it costs more money yes But ultimately, I think that there's so many examples of companies out there that have instigated genuinely supportive working cultures and they have lower turnover of staff. They have better productivity. They have more loyalty among staff and customers. I mean, you know, the list goes on and I just think it's it's just, I really agree with you. I really hope that it has proven to companies. I mean, this is a story that I always tell, but it's like before I quit my most final corporate job. I actually said to my boss, you know what, I actually really don't hate this job. Like I actually really would, would be really happy to carry on working for you, to be honest. Like it would save you having to replace me, would save you having to recruit someone new, you know, it would be way less hassle for you. I'll just do this job, but I'll work three days a week from home if that's okay. And they were like, no, sorry, we don't do that. That's not possible. There's no point me even asking my superior because I know that he'll say no. I was just like, okay, cool, you'll have my resignation letter on your desk tomorrow morning, like, thanks, Mm. no thanks. Mm. And my boss was kind of apologetic, he was like, "Mm, I kind of don't really doubt that you could do it from home, but that's just not our policy, sorry. I was like, okay, fine, you'll have to recruit someone new then, bye. Like, you know,
1: and it was just kind of, like, ridiculous, really. And I think there are lots of um, people like your old boss in organisations, and lots of organisations who even at the top feel like, you know, we really need to do something about mental health. We know that it's a big deal. Loads of people are talking about it. We do actually care about our people, but we just don't know what to do. Um, And like, that's certainly been my experience anyway with the with the corporates that I've worked with is that it's, there's real intent there to do the right thing in inverted commas, but they just don't know what the right thing is. Um, And so like by me kind of, you know my approach as you can probably tell is just being really honest (laughs) and by me being honest with them and asking them difficult questions i kind of help them to come to the realization of what their role is in the mental health of their organization and how they can support that um and i guess like you kind of talked about you know we should all all organizations should care about our mental health which is so true um and you hear a lot of kind of you know mental health is just as important as physical health and i just think it's all it's all health <laughs> and it, mental health is physical health it's your brain it's still a part of your physicality um and you know if if someone came to their boss and said um i've broken my leg so i'm going to need to work from home for the next three weeks they would be like okay cool what do you need from us to make that happen but if i go to my boss and say um i am really depressed right now and i can't be here they're like oh god what do we say oh i don't know what i'm allowed to do or what you need or um there's you know because of so many reasons you know stigma being one of them um we just need to kind of yeah we need to get organizations to get those people in organizations who actually want to do something to a place where they feel confident about what it is that they can do
0: totally absolutely and i think also the broken leg analogy kind of there's pros and cons to that analogy but I think it it works really well in this situation in the sense that if you break your leg your boss wouldn't be like oh gosh probably don't need to give them a promotion when when it's their time exactly no your boss would be like oh god silly you you're a bit clumsy i might not ask you to carry my tea for a bit but i'm not gonna like think that you could do your job less well because you've broken your leg but if you tell your boss that you've suffered from depression and anxiety you're instantly thinking oh my god are they judging me are they gonna think i can't work can't do my job they need to treat me differently like you know there's like so much in there it's so loaded
1: Yeah, and the the broken leg analogy was a very bold one, I admit. The one that I often use is to say is to liken mental health issues, mental illness to a chronic physical health condition. So uh, like epilepsy or like um, uh, diabetes, you know, the sorts of health conditions that you are likely to always have. And that may... um, have peaks and troughs in terms of their intensity but that you understand and you learn how to manage that's what i see mental health issues as as or for for those of us who um have ongoing mental health issues that that you know it's a chronic health condition that you learn how to manage and sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's not um so yeah i I try and use a slightly more nuanced example when i'm working with companies promise (laughs) i know it's fine i just
0: i i didn't mean to Cast dispersion (laughs) analogy. I think it's great, but I think yeah, it it does, it does make sense to to think about it in terms of a chronic condition because, like you say, it's something that you basically live with. Yeah, for many of us, some people I suppose might have an anxiety bout and then it never comes back, but that's not been my experience, and it's not really the experience of most people that I speak to. It's kind of like once you've suffered a breakdown or an intense period of depression or anxiety it tends to be something that you can always feel is there and might come
1: back and it becomes about
0: like managing it.
1: Yeah I think there's always that fear that you know that fear of not having another breakdown is one of the things that really motivates me weirdly because I've been there and I don't want to go back there again so you know if that means that I need to take a break from Instagram for a while or I need to take a break from work entirely or I need to turn down offers of work that would be better paid but would be more triggering then that's absolutely what I'm going to do because I don't ever want to be there again <laughs> not that absolutely. bad totally
0: and that actually leads into kind of my next few questions for you which is up until now we've talked a lot about workplaces and corporate culture and big business but obviously both of us are our I don't know whether you would call yourself this, but a solopreneur, like we work for ourselves. We work from home, even when there's not a pandemic on, we, <laughs> work from home. Um, we have our own businesses and I would love to know how a lot of your work translates from the corporate environment into the solopreneur environment. Mm-hmm. Because yes, as much as there is a huge amount of toxic culture within the corporate environment i think that there's an equal amount different but equal amount of toxic culture in entrepreneurship you know like the hustle culture oh all successful entrepreneurs get up at 4am and do three-hour workouts before they even sit down to work like there's so much Mm -hmm. toxic hustle culture sorry in entrepreneurship as well so how yeah how does all of this
1: translate to working for yourself um, yeah, I think you're right. Like there is so much, uh, there are so many. Oh, I can't can't even put my put my finger on what it, how to describe it. But um, when you work for yourself, it is incredibly hard to shake off those um, ways of working and understanding of the world of work that you inherit from when you worked in corporate, if you did. But you don't even need to have worked in corporate to have subsumed the idea that hard work is valuable, that hard work is noble, that that you have to work hard to get results. And then you layer on top of that the expectations that you have of yourself and that others have of you um, and the kind of need to make money to feed yourself and pay your bills and your rent. Um, And... All of those kind of pressures can then and often do then lead you to build a business in in a kind of unwittingly unhealthy way. Um, And I think as well, you know, we both have kind of purpose-led businesses, businesses with a reason, a mission. um, And I think in that environment, it's very easy to, and I deliberately use these words, fall into the trap of... Um, thinking this is what my clients need, well, what your clients need is is you and for you whatever you do, and for you to do that in the way that you show up best, so I could say, Oh, what my clients need is a free Facebook group where I'm there for them all the time, but that is not what I need, and that is not how I would show up best, so what my clients need for me is for me to show up at my best, and I, I'm not going to do that there so that isn't what I'm going to provide. Um, But as I say, I think it's very easy to fall into this trap of my clients need this. My business needs this. Um, But does it, and why does it need you to work 12 hours a day? Why does it need you to have 14 different revenue streams? Why does it need you to be on all of the social media channels every day of the week? Why, what, what is it that I guess it's about, What are the foundations of your business? And for me, my foundations of my business are what I need and what I need to stay healthy and happy. And I call those things like basic needs. So I understand myself well enough to know what my basic needs are when it comes to the way that I work. And so I will not infringe on those basic needs. Or if I do decide to do something that I know will not allow me to say, you know, have the the sort of slow morning that i need or not work (coughs) not work in the evenings or at the weekends which are like a real firm boundary well-boundaried basic need of mine um i'll ask myself okay well why why am i willing to infringe on that basic need for what benefit for how long am i willing to infringe on that and what what will i not be able to do if i do do that thing so i think yeah, sorry, that was a really wildly long answer to your question. But in sum, I think um there I think it's it's almost harder to work in a way that's healthy for you when you run your own business because um you don't have the standard structures of an organization to stop you. You don't have a manager to stop you, you don't have colleagues to say, Why do you never take lunch? Why are you always here till ten o'clock at night? Why are you emailing people at two in the morning? Like you you can allow yourself to overwork and overwork and overwork and overwork. And And if you start to see results from that, then you start to think, okay, that's what I need to do to be successful. And then you get into this really unhealthy kind of spiral. It's
0: ironic, isn't it? That so many of us start our own businesses because we want to escape that treadmill.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then we unwittingly put ourselves on to another treadmill of our own making, which is actually almost worse because the buck completely stops with us. And like they the constraints that we really were so desperate to escape actually were a container that we maybe did want to escape but actually now that we don't have any containers in place it's like oh I could just work all the time and like what's more I have to work all the time because I am the CEO and the CFO and the marketing manager and the communications assistant and everything and it's like oh, this is not what I had intended. What's going on? And I think my next question really is, like, what would you advise someone who feels that way or someone who is thinking about setting up their own business or someone who's just started setting up their own business? What would you say? What would you advise? Or what do you wish that you had known, perhaps?
1: Um, I think I would say that all of this stuff is in your control and therefore these unhealthy ways of working that you've either seen in corporate or you're starting to develop in your own business are totally changeable because in exactly the same way as it is in a corporate environment, um, is the same when you're self-employed, you run your own business, you set others' expectations of you. So if Sue is always the one who works late in her big company, then Sue will always be asked to pick up that thing because we know that Sue is really diligent in inverted commas and will always pick up extra work. And if you're the person who always answers people's DMs on Instagram within seconds of them sending it, then they will always expect that from you because your behaviour has set their expectations. So if you want to change those expectations, then it's totally within your your capability to do that. But you first need to examine your behaviour and start to shift it. And um, I think there are kind of I think you need to think about the way that you think about work the way that that um, leads you to behave when it comes to work and then the way that you've kind of designed and practically run your business. So if you um, basically, if you're say you're a coach and you're coaching nine hours a day, five days a week, and so you only ever have time to do your admin and your marketing at the weekends, then sorry, pal, you've designed your business in the, in a way that will never allow you to do all of that within Monday to Friday, whatever hours you want to work because you haven't started off by thinking, okay, this is, this is what I need from work and therefore this is how much work I can fit in. Um, so I think it's about thinking about yourself first, um, and looking at the way that you, what your kind of wonky thought patterns are around work. I.e. I have to work hard for it to be valuable or I have to always be on, or I have to respond to people really quickly. Um, all of those kind of thought patterns then lead you to behave in a certain way, whether that's overworking, whether that's pushing yourself beyond your own limits. Um, and then that, all those thought patterns also translate into the way that you, the nuts and bolts, the way that you practically run your business. Um, so I think you kind of need to think about those three things, but I would start with yourself and reminding yourself that, you know, if you work for yourself, you are literally you're building this business for yourself and yes you want to serve clients but you can't do that if you are not serving yourself first yeah
0: totally i love that i think it's a phrase that i've seen you use on your instagram as well actually where you say i'll be no use to anyone if i have another breakdown so why would i design my business in a way that would lead me further down that path because Mm -hmm yes, maybe I'd have more clients and I'd make more money and it would all look very fancy and successful. But if I have another breakdown, then I'm not going to be any help to anyone, am I? It's kind of that mentality, I think.
1: And I'm also kind of coming to realise that, so when I first set up the business, I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I am I need to squash my ambitions a bit. I need to plan and hope to be less successful than I expected I would. I need to expect to earn less money than I was likely to if I stayed in that job and I I'm coming to kind of realize that that isn't necessarily true um and that you know you don't have to give up success or ambition or wanting to earn enough money to to buy a car or a house or you know go on five holidays year whatever it is that you want just because you are trying to manage your mental health at the same time it's just that you need to figure out how you're going to work and make that money in a way that works for you um so yeah i'm never gonna have you know 20 mentoring clients at a time because by gum that sounds wildly stressful um and i know that i couldn't um i can do a good job for that many people at the same time i know that i only really can work with four or five clients at the same time um and i know that you know there are like i said before i'm never going to run some massive facebook group that you or or thing like that that you paid to be a member of or but if i do do something like that um i'll do it in a way that works for me so that i know i can give the best to people um but that yeah that that means i don't have to kind of um expect or aim to earn less or do less or be any less successful again in the commas um i just need to figure out how to do that in a way that works for me
0: yeah absolutely As usual, there's so much in what you just said, I kind of firstly, what really occurred to me when you were speaking was like you say, this idea that actually it's not binary. It's not like, look after my mental health and make no money or sacrifice my mental health and be rich. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, where does that come from? (laughs) You can design your business in a way that actually does both. I mean, obviously that's the Holy grail and I'm not suggesting that it's in any way easy, you know, you still have to think about it. And you might fail a few times, or you might actually have a few years or a few months or whatever, when actually you are making way less money, like, let's not sugarcoat it. I definitely have. Mm -hmm. But actually, for me, that has been worth it. And I'm lucky, you know, I did look at my finances before I quit my job. And I got a part time freelance job that was enough to pay the bills. And, you know, so I'm not suggesting being like really reckless and just being like, screw it, you know, we don't need money, whatever, it's like, it's actually how can we design our business in a way that is going to give us the money that we want or need, and the success, again, in inverted commas, that we want, and also design it in a way that protects our mental health, and I think it is really important to realize that it's not binary, it's not like, oh, well, if I work in a way that supports my mental health, then I just need to, you know, resign myself to the fact that I'll just like always be poor, or whatever it is, or I'll always be unsuccessful, or I won't have a fancy, shiny job title that impresses other people. You know, it's kind of like,
1: actually, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm, Yeah, totally. And I, it's definitely taking me some time to realise that. Um, But yeah, I totally agree that also, you know, I mean, this is probably the topic of a whole other podcast, but it depends what success looks like, right? Like, um, when you mentioned about job titles, it just made me think that yeah, in my old career and my old job, I cared a lot about job titles, but now people ask me my job title all the time, and I'm like, oh, I don't know just whatever you want, director of a company. Does that sound weird? Um. <laughs> I know. And actually, I quite often change it. Depending yeah, on me too.
0: You. Yeah, yeah. Or like not even intentionally, just like every time I write it down, I'm like, what am I? Am I a founder? Am I a CEO? Oh, I, I know. Oh, founder? God,
1: I really don't give a shit. Am I a co- Am
0: I a teacher? <laughs> am I a tutor? What am I? Am I a digital marketer? Am I an online? What am I? And it's kind of like, I actually don't, really care no whereas actually before you're so right when I first left my job I was one of the things that I was quite worried about was the fact that I'd worked for quite a few years in that industry and had finally got the title of editor. yes like editor in my title and I was like oh gosh I've made it people will respect me because I have the word editor instead of reporter or writer in my title and then when I left I was just like I don't even know why I am. It's like what you said. I love how you describe your job as just a job that you made up.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I just made it up. But again, thankfully, people seem to feel like it's valuable for them and it's enjoyable for me. So, you know, that's a really happy union. Um, but again, it was, it's interesting what you say about you getting to that point of having editor in your title and then not long afterwards, decided to leave your job. I, so my whole career, I've been striving for this, you know, this strategic level job. That's what you always go for. Like, that's where I'm heading to. And I got it, had a friggin' breakdown and then was like, oh, I don't think I want to do it anymore. <laughs> but I remember looking at my boss, the director being like, oh, I definitely don't want her job. Like, there is no way I could do that job and still be, hang on to any sliver of sanity. And I do remember thinking, like, what now? I'm only 30. Like, what do I? What am I going to do for the next 35 years? I don't want to do this. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of, that really resonated with me, that getting to that aha moment and then being like, oh, no, I don't want to do that.
0: I know. And I think that's so useful, isn't it? People always say, like, dress dress for the job you want not the job you have and I was like oh honestly don't want my boss's job so I guess yoga pants like <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean it was like okay, yeah. them, then. <laughs> oh, like
1: pajamas <laughs> yeah
0: pajamas like that'll work um so we are coming to the end of our time and I want to respect your time but I'd love to know we spoke earlier right at the beginning of the podcast we spoke about reading books and gardening and sourdough but what other rituals or routines or methods do you have in your life now that are really important to you in terms of setting really strong boundaries for your mental health in your working day
1: or in your life in general? God, so many. Um, I think boundaries is like a whole, whole like podcast on its own. I'm actually planning on um, I'm planning a workshop this summer on boundaries because I think as um, business owners, again, whatever we call ourselves as people like us, um, it is really hard to set and communicate boundaries in your business. So that's something that I'm, um, like planning at the moment. Um, but the, the sort of rituals, I would say, so, um sleep is one of the things that is most quickly affected when i'm not well, and it's like for me one of the signs that I'm getting unwell so i um I have quite a lot of things that I do to help me sleep, so I um go to bed really early, like ten latest um <laughs> I listen to. For a long time I was listening to the Harry Potter books on wireless headphones, um, but I've recently switched to sleep stories on the car map. So even though I have listened to and read Harry Potter literally like 30 times, it was still making me a bit anxious because I think the world is just anxiety inducing right now. So I've moved on to sleep stories. Um scents and smells are a huge kind of um a, a huge influence and kind of mood shifter for me so um I have like this rollerball that I use when I get into bed and I have a weighted eye mask which is basically like a bean bag that you put on your eye Um, oh my (laughs) god I've never heard I've heard of a weighted blanket I've never heard of a weighted eye mask yeah it's literally like a little bean bag I got it in a yoga studio and it like just sits over my eyes um and yeah it's very soothing and i spray like nice smells on it obviously um and so yeah i look like a, a lunatic when i go to bed basically <laughs> um so those things are really important to me and then in the mornings i i don't adhere to this whole like you know five step morning routine for rah, rah, rah. like i'm just you know make up your own morning routine in a way it works for you um so i'm not kind of you know fastidious about doing this every day but generally i will um get up when i get up and have like have a cup of tea and um i journal each morning um and i use these i'm just reaching over to get them um these oracle cards they're called the star seed oracle cards um and so i just do what you what you might call morning pages again i i'm i after you know 10 years of being very rigid in the way that I do everything I don't really like rigidity anymore (laughs) so I just kind of journal about whatever's going on in my head Um, and then I will like pull an oracle card and um, just think about what it means for me so today's was this um, which says activated earth power places Ley lines trust where you're led Mm -hmm. Um, and it has a very
0: beautiful beautiful
1: kind of photo Got yeah.
0: some water, light, landscape going on. Ooh, I kind of like how it doesn't tell you what you're supposed to think about it.
1: I like that too. Again, don't love rigidity. Um, I like that it gives you a kind of hint. It's something. Originally, I got them because I found journaling really hard, and I felt like I needed prompts to get out of my head and just get the words out. Um, with time, I found it easier, but these cards just really helped me to think about you know, what does that mean for me right now? And what I, what I kind of latched onto with this card is the phrase, trust where you're led. And it reminded me that I need to choose to trust myself that this time that I'm taking away from social media is good for me um and that the things that I'm being pulled to work on at the moment um which is my next kind of group mentoring program and also really thinking deeply about how I can run my business in an anti-racist way um those are the things that are important those are the things that I've been led to and that I can trust that those are Things I can and should be spending my time on, um, so yeah, I really like that they're not kind of prescriptive, that they're just something thought provoking um and that routine is yeah is really important for me um, I am actually experimenting with calendar blocking at the moment, which I know is totally counterintuitive when I just said I hate rigidity, um but I think when i'm when I'm feeling a little. Bit like I'm kind of not feeling brilliant, I think that sort of um, practice really helps me because it takes a decision away I've noted down everything that I need to do that week and I've put times for it yes I will often shift them around but that uh, that takes away the decision of what I need to do now and it also reminds me to take breaks because I schedule in breaks all through the day um, and that actually is really helping me at the moment um so yeah, they're, they're, I feel like there's a million bajillion kind of routines and rituals that I like. Um, but those are my things at the moment.
0: I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with me, I go through kind of phases as well. I'll do a phase where I'm like routinely journaling. And I used to really beat myself up about not doing it like every single day mm-hmm. and like dropping it and taking it back up again. And I'd be like, right, this is the time when I'm going to start journaling and I'm going to do it forever and ever. And now I'm a bit more like, listen, if you feel like you need to journal for like two weeks or something, then maybe that's, that's what you need to do right now. But it doesn't mean that you need to do it forever.
1: Yeah.
0: Right now I'm not really journaling, but I am doing a lot more reading, but some Mm -hmm. weeks I don't do any reading, which I kind of hate because I'm the same as you and I love reading. I always have like six different books on the go and I'm a member of like three different book clubs and like... (laughs) Including my own, so I've like added another book on top of whatever, but and and I'm kind of the same as you. And I think it's like the only things that I always do in the morning have a shower, have a cup of coffee, and meditate, and everything else can kind of fit in those things. Mm. And I do sometimes feel like actually, I would love because I've got loads of cards as well, they're not as beautiful as your ones, but I do have journaling prompt cards and Mm. I have like business mantra cards like you know you are not your work or whatever like whatever mantras and sometimes I do go through a phase of pulling one of those and kind of using that to think about but other days I'm like way more disorganized and I'm just like oh shit I need to meditate and then I need to start work like oh my god like and it's kind of you know it's sort of listening to what you need and not making your routines like
1: another thing that you beat yourself with oh god yes yes Yes, the whole like, you know, on the one hand, you've got there, you must wake up at 4am and go for the run and make the sourdough and do the meditating and the journaling and oh, and then do some yoga. And then you've got like the kind of uh, the, the, the really prescriptive kind of five, five steps to a meditative morning or like five steps to a minimalist morning routine. Like, oh, God, I just like you say it just becomes something to beat yourself up about um and yeah I've definitely been through phases like that with the journaling where I'm like oh god I didn't do it today but I kind of one of the things that I'm really trying to focus on at the moment is like choosing to trust myself and I'm choosing to trust that I know when I need and want to do the journaling and if I don't get around to it one day or I actively decide not to do it then that's okay because I don't have to do it every day who says I have to do it every day um but yeah I'm definitely it's something that I've been doing pretty regularly like you know as I say some days I will miss it out um but for most of this year um and it's really yeah something that I um it has real benefits for me one one being it again it interrupts my behavior which would normally be to open your laptop and open your emails and I find actually emails again, probably a bit of lingering PTSD from corporate job, but like really triggering. Um, So yeah, I open my laptop and I put this particular playlist on and I open this particular notebook. And yeah, it is quite kind of meditative for me.
0: That's so nice. And I love what you say about you're interrupting what would be your usual pattern, but using the same tools that you would use. So you're not saying like, oh, I can't turn my laptop on for like the first two hours of the day which is kind of a bit weird. You're kind of saying like, I'm going to turn my laptop on, which is what I would do anyway, but actually I'm going to play a nice playlist on it instead of Mm -hmm. going straight into my emails. And I think that's something that I always talk about so much with my clients as well, is like, you're not trying to like transform your life. You're not trying to like suddenly become someone who's like completely different to who you were before. All you're trying to do is like find pockets of time in your day or find things that you already do, where these new healthy habits can kind of slot in in a nice kind of easy way or in a pleasurable way. So me, for example, with my coffee and meditation in the morning, sometimes I meditate in bed because I'm just like, oh, I just can't get up right now. Like I'm too tired. So I don't think, oh, well, that's it. Then I've ruined my morning routine. Like I'm not going to meditate today. Screw it. I have screwed up this day. I just think, okay, well, I'll, I'll just meditate in bed. Then I'll just sit up and that feels easier. Some Mm -hmm. days I bounce out of bed, have a shower, do a meditation, like, formally on the sofa, like, on my proper meditation cushion, and that feels really good. And then other days, actually, I meditate with my cup of coffee, and I make my Mm -hmm. cup of coffee my thing that I meditate on. And it's like, that to me feels, like, flexible enough Mm -hmm. that it's actually a part of my life, rather than, like, you must meditate because you're a bad person if you don't type thing. And I think you can apply that to, like, everything that you do. Um yeah that's so that's so interesting i think also i really relate to what you said about being someone who rejects routine but at the same time sometimes like needs to impose (laughs) routine on yourself i have a really love-hate relationship with that as well because i think on the one hand yes like time block write yourself a to-do list write yourself a timetable because yes then that for me removes like you said the emotion from it almost and it's like i don't need to use my willpower because i've already written down what i'm gonna do today so i don't need to think like oh do i feel like it like am i gonna do it oh no i feel like a bit of a failure today so i don't feel like i'm gonna do that today it's like no no you said on monday that you were gonna do this on thursday so you're gonna do it and it's such a fine balance because it's like on the one hand that's amazing because it removes the emotion but then also you don't want to remove the emotion so much that you stop listening to yourself, you know? So it's like, it's a constant evaluation process.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think I, yeah, like in my old career, everything was, you know, so regimented that, you know, there was a format to the way that we did with this. We always had these meetings at this time on this day, like everything had to be super organized and super efficient, and like, I was kind of known as being this super efficient, super organized person. And I think part of what I, I think part of the, the rationale behind some of those shifts subconsciously has been like a rebellion against that. Um, but I do know that I, I find kind of, um, routine really soothing and helpful. Um, I'm just, you know, still figuring out what that looks like in the new world.
0: Totally. I think it's like being a rebel as well. And that actually reminds me of um, Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. And some people are obligers, like they do things because they said they're going to. Upholders, because they feel like they need to uphold um, like to someone else. I'm probably getting them mixed up, but I don't know those ones because they're not me. I am much <laughs> more like a questioner, so I need to know why I'm doing something. So if I do, for example, if I do a new workout routine, I need to like do all of the research on why HIT works. And then I need to do all of the research on like the results. So I need to like find 10 people who have done that workout routine and see that it worked for them because otherwise I'm not gonna do it because I don't know that it's gonna work because I always have a million questions. But then also I tend to be a bit of a rebel as well. So it's like sometimes I'll say that I'm gonna do something and then I deliberately won't do it because I've said I'm gonna do it. So I think it's just like entrepreneurship is such a self-development journey
1: where it's like god yes you have
0: to know yourself including the bits of yourself that are not always actually that useful or helpful and it's so much a war between like what you need now and being compassionate to yourself but also doing things that you know in the long run actually will be better for you you know and maybe that's just being human i don't know but for me it's become so much more apparent since i've been in my own boss
1: yeah definitely i think Yeah, being your own boss is basically like constant therapy, (laughs) for better or for worse.
0: Totally, absolutely. That's why we have
1: to have these conversations. I know. I know.
0: Thank you for letting me have it with you. No problem. So my last few questions are, I always ask people this. Okay. Obviously, my brand is Breathe Like a Badass. And obviously, in all of my little brand business questions, I have answered what that means to me and what being a badass is and how I can help people and blah, 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 blah. What does being a badass mean to you? Does it mean anything? Is it a word that you use? What comes to mind when you think of that word?
1: Um, what does it mean to me? <laughs> I. It, what comes to mind is my cat. Like, she's a fucking badass. She knows what she wants, and she knows what she does not want. Like, if you're stroking her and she's done, she will just bite you. Like, there's no walking away. There's no subtlety. It's just like, bam, no, don't want that, thank you. So, yeah, I think, like a badass is just someone who's like just really true to themselves god that sounds really wanky doesn't it but you know what i mean like knows what they want and gets it in a way that works for them
0: it's not wanky it's completely true and i love your definition and oh my My god (laughs) like what an incredible badass babe i mean yeah she's ace oh my goodness what's her name is it is it gilbert Gibson. Oh, Gibson!
1: It's a she, and she has a boy's name.
0: I knew that. I knew that she was a. I knew that she was a she, and I knew that it started with G.
1: Yeah, she. Um, her recent trick is she gets. I mean, she's always on the bed, but like at like five in the morning when she starts to get hungry, she will like sit on your chest and like bite you to be like, "Hello, feed me."
0: (laughs) I love how cats are like. What's the word?
1: Badass
0: badass yeah you own a dog
1: oh yeah no you don't own a cat no they you just live with them yeah (laughs) they do exactly what they want to do yeah
0: i kind of love that like we should (laughs) all be more cat
1: yes definitely oh
0: my gosh okay so my second to last question is that is there anything that i should have asked you but that i didn't
1: probably something like really frivolous like you know best biscuit or you know like those silly questions what is your best biscuit i mean it's a difficult one i would i generally would say a bourbon um but i think an oreo is probably like on the same level what's yours i
0: genuinely am paralyzed by this decision
1: (laughs) see it's a good question isn't it or like, you know, best type of pasta, you know, like something ridiculous, but food-based. food, food based.
0: No, no, but all of the food-based questions are so hard. I know, hard.
1: so hard. Yeah, so, so hard. So hard.
0: I mean, I know what I think my best cake is. My oh, best go cake. on. That'll my do. best dessert is a tiramisu.
1: Oh, no, I don't like coffee, you see. So you can have the tiramisu.
0: Okay, that's fine, because that means we're not going to fight over it. That
1: <laughs> that? Oh, biscuit. I mean, when I think about best biscuit, I
0: think of like a really amazing soft-baked vanilla. Vine- mm brown butter crumbly sort of chocolate chip cookie i mean that sounds brilliant it does but i'm not sure if it really counts as a biscuit oh i think we can count it as a biscuit okay in that case that's my favorite okay cool but but bourbon and oreo are like near the top
1: yeah jammy dodger as well i do love a jammy dodger but do you know what some i mean this is this is way off topic but sometimes the jammy dodger just feels a bit too like you know when you get into the middle bit where the goo is and it's not gooey enough it's actually quite hard like that's really disappointing jammy dodger for me Uh,
0: yeah not very satisfying no i can't believe that no one
1: said jaffa cake oh i mean if 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 i could bring myself to admit that a jaffa cake was a biscuit which it isn't then a jaffa cake would win every time because like they just don't make packets of jaffa cakes big enough for me
0: no i mean the ones that we buy in this house are called
1: family size that's <laughs> me and ollie so i'm not yeah we're a family right? <laughs> that counts, right you know at christmas when you get the tubes that are like as tall as you like that's the sort of size tube i want but you know in a more easy to access format just put it in a bag i don't hundred... care about the tube i just want to get it out <laughs> i love how in the show notes i'm gonna have
0: to put links to all of these things <laughs> Especially from like my American and Australian
1: who are just like what the actual heck is a Jaffa cake? Oh my god, I can't believe they don't have Jaffa cakes in American Australia. What a I know, but tragedy. But Australians do have Tim Tams, which are amazing. I have heard great things about Tim Tams. They
0: are amazing. I did have an Australian friend that used to tell me about Tim Tams and I finally got one and they're just basically like, you
1: know, penguin biscuits, but like Yes, they do oh
0: interesting basically they're very similar they remind me of penguin biscuits but they're just like
1: i do love a penguin same oh my god oh no now i now i need like all the biscuits same i just hilarious this we to have a whole other conversation just about this Um,
0: so okay so i love that and i think the last thing i want to ask you is how can people work with you because i know that you've got your course coming up that is going to be available and How can people find you online or get in touch with you? What can people do if they want to enter your Mad and Sad Club world?
1: Enter my Mad and Sad world. Um, So I'm mainly, usually, on Instagram. Um, I will be probably back on Instagram by the time this podcast goes out. Um, So I'm just Mad and Sad Club there um and i'm also madandsadclub.co.uk on the tinter web. Um and yes my group mentoring program eight weeks of space will be opening soon um and there's lots of other things that I can kind of help you with or you can just chat to me about. Um but yeah Instagram is the best place to find me and start.
0: Amazing so it's at mad and sad club. Yes. And also I did say that was my last question. This is maybe a major question to be asking you towards the end of the podcast, but why is it called Mad and Sad
1: Club? So it's called Mad and Sad Club because when I was at my most mad and sad, um, there were I had a few friends who were also very mad and sad, and we would message each other like, 2pm still in bed hashtag mad and sad and it felt like it was a hashtag that we used with each other in our whatsapp messages to be like oh i'm really sad um to try and make light of how mad and all sad we felt and it just felt like the only name for a company that i could have i am registered at company's house as mad and sad club as well i did have a moment where i was like should i just be like joe hooper consulting or something really boring and then i was like no i'm gonna commit to it and of course, none of those handles have been taken on any, anything, anywhere. No one wants to be called that, other than me. I love that, but I think that's a
0: sign of a good business name, though, because when I launched "Breathe Like a Badass," I was like, no, someone else will have taken it. And then I was like, oh, no one has. I <laughs> no that one wants thing. it. <laughs> like a, a bad thing. Like hmm, "Breathe Like a Badass" is available on all platforms excellent is that good or yeah i love that oh my gosh that's amazing unfortunately i am not registered as breathe like a badass on company's house for people that don't know what company's house is in the uk if you have a business you have to register your business on i don't even know what it is like a government legal legal register or something
1: online um, thing
0: sadly i am not registered as breathe like a badass which is very sad (laughs) (laughs) but oh my gosh i love it fantastic well thank you joe so much. For this incredible conversation we could carry on talking all night i am sh- i am certain especially
1: about biscuits and salad i was gonna say as long as we've got a family size pack of Jaff cakes on the go
0: <laughs> i could do most things as long as <laughs> yeah <laughs> to be honest um but yeah i just want to say thank you so much for your time this has been genuinely incredible it's such a relief to find people out there who feel the way that I do about work and who are actively changing little by little the culture that we live in for the better so thank you so much for your work and thank you for your time and I hope that we will connect soon and everyone go and follow Jo on Instagram and sign up for her course because it is amazing
1: (laughs) thank you that's really nice yeah it's been gorgeous to talk to you thank you so much
0: if you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is to hit subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you usually listen so that many other like-minded women just like you and me can discover it and share the word. I'd also absolutely love it if you could let me know what your favourite takeaway was from this week's episode. Come and tag me on Instagram at breathe like a badass. You can take a screenshot of the podcast episode that you're listening to or just come and drop me a DM because let's be honest, I'm on Instagram pretty much every single day and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. As I say, the best way that you could continue to support podcasts like this and incredible women in business just like the ones that I interview on this show is to hit subscribe, leave a review and share. In the meantime, thank you again and I cannot wait to see you back here for next week's episode. Just remember, breathe like the badass you are and you won't go far wrong.